Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 81, How Tess Gerritsen Writes. Welcome, welcome, my friends. I hope everyone is having a fantastic summer, and it's about to get a whole lot better because this is another episode with a master storyteller. Tess Gerritsen has written 29 novels, including an adaptation of her series Rizzoli and Isles, which was a hit TV show. Tess is just so knowledgeable about storytelling, and I am so grateful to Tess for sharing her process for writing and how to become a writer from the inside out. This is one you do not want to miss. I want to say thank you again to Tess for her time. And now, my friends, without any further ado, here is the interview with Tess Garrett. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I'm your host, Brian, and today's very special guest is Tess Gerritsen. Tess is the author of, I counted 29, correct me if I'm wrong, but I counted on Goodreads, 29 medical crime and thriller and romance novels. Her books have been top three bestsellers in the United States and number one bestsellers abroad. She has won both the Nero Wolf Award and the Rita Award, two very prestigious awards. Her series of novels featuring homicide detective Jane Rizzoli and medical examiner Maura Isles inspired the TNT television series Rizzoli and Isles. She is also a filmmaker. She and her son Josh produced a feature-length documentary called Magnificent Beast about the ancient origins of the pig taboo. Such an interesting topic. We're going to get it. We're going to get to that. Tessa's latest novel, Choose Me, will be published on July 1st, 2021 in the United States. Tess lives in the very writerly state of Maine. I feel like that is a breeding ground for writers. Maine. Tess, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm talking to you from Maine where there are so many writers, we have to beat them away. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I feel like, what what is it about Maine? Like, I, I feel like those Northeast states, I mean, I spent a lot of my life on the East Coast, but but when you get into like the Northeast states like that, there's just something special up there. Like what is in the air that, that makes writers flock to Maine? Well, you know, writers can live anywhere in the world. And I think when they have a choice, they choose somewhere beautiful. Uh, and Maine is definitely one of those states where we have the mountains and we have the ocean and we have woodlands and we have wildlife. And we also have long winters. And there's something about a long, cold winter that makes people creative, I think. <laughs> I, I certainly think that I do my best create, creating when it's when it's the wintertime. Oh, that's interesting. So so do you find that because, you know, Maine is a kind of northern state, uh, longer, colder winters, do you find that you're writing a lot during those like colder seasons? And then when it's summer, it's just like... YOLO, I can't keep myself at the desk or, or are you still like kind of keeping the similar output? Oh, I, it's very true that I, I work much harder in the wintertime. I think the summertime, uh, part of the problem is that I, I'm a big gardener. And so I'm always out there pulling weeds. That's, that is my right. Zen, um, my Zen activity. Um, but I think in the wintertime, you, you just don't go outside and you're, you're very, 
I think you're focused more on what stories are going through your head. And, and mm. because it's dark and there's no color, you almost have to fill the landscape with your own imaginary color. Yeah, I love that. I I, I hate, I just have to be honest, I hate winter. And so like hearing <laughs> this, hearing this as, as we're on the heels of, of winter, right? Like, you know, it's still kind of chilly at night and still kind of chilly in the morning. And I'm like, I, I hate the cold. But hearing that, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I mean, th there's just something about those long, periods where you're you're kind of inside it does foster creativity creativity and coffee like those are the two things right 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 exactly <laughs> and, and, and then and that's that's when i sort of slip into my flannel shirts and my, <laughs> you know, my fuzzy slippers and everything feels very comfortable <laughs> oh i love it i love it so you test you have you have an incredibly interesting background like your story of how you found your way to writing and i always love these origination stories i mean most interviews somehow i get to them because i'm just personally so fascinated and yours is really unique so you were a doctor <laughs> you're an md um and and had a break from being a doctor and in in that break became kind, kind of found your way into storytelling and i'd i'd love for you just to unpack that story so i can hear it from you fresh and just kind of hear your journey towards you know being this kind of prolific novelist and storyteller? Um, I knew I was a storyteller when I was seven years old. Mm -hmm. I wrote my first book at age seven. Mm -hmm. And um, my father told me that was no way to make a living. He just said that, you know, it's writing is an uncertain career. And the truth is, I didn't know any writers. I, as far as I knew, they were, you know, coming from outer space. So um, <laughs> I went into medicine because it seemed like um, it had to do with science. I love science. And it also seemed like it was a secure uh, kind of career. Um, now, I, I have, I'm sort of descended from immigrants. My mother is, uh, was an immigrant from China. And security is really important, especially, I think, to Asian Americans. So I went to medical school. I became a doctor. But that writer was always there. You know, she was just waiting for a chance to pop out. And in mm. fact, when I was an intern and I was working, what, 80 to 90 hours a week. When I had a free moment, I would sit in my call room, which is where they where they allow you to sleep late at night, uh, and I would write a chapter or I would write something. So I, it never really left me. Um, but then when I went on maternity leave with my first son, I got the chance. Now, I, I have to give my son praise for this because he was a really good sleeper. <laughs> he, would, he would take these long, long naps, you know, two hour naps. And that was my chance. And whenever he fell asleep, I would turn to my desk and pick up a pen and start writing. Oh, man, I, I'm thinking about my two children. And, and I don't think I would, you know, just kind of <laughs> when they were babies, the idea that you'd launched a second career. And it's, it's really hard, you know, what I mean, like becoming a novelist and writing stories it's hard work, you know, it takes a lot of mental energy. And so the fact that you did that with the newborn, I was like, boy, that is, that is incredible. Like that, like, I am just like in awe that, that you were able to do that. Like, did you find that, that the space provided by having a child like opened up just the time you needed? What you had said something just earlier that like, you were just kind of waiting for the opportunity Mm -hmm. What was it that, that you got to a certain age? Was it, was it the time? Like what, what was it that like put the right pieces together for you to take the steps and, my, and really do it? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was my proximity to a desk. It was, <laughs> it was the the fact that um, I finally didn't have to get up early in the morning and get dressed and go to the hospital. Um, I could stay home and write around my son's nap times, um, and I think it it also helped that um, I wasn't expecting any success at that point. There there was no deadline hanging over me. I had all the time in the world to write my first book. And that is the freedom of being a first-time novelist. Um, nobody's expecting you to turn in your story. You do it um, at your own pace. And there is a, that's a freedom that you lose after your first book sells. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think that everybody who's working on their first novel should, should rejoice in the experience of that first act of creation because it is the most free you'll ever be as a writer. <laughs> mm, I, I love, I, I absolutely love that. So, so do you think, do you think there were parts of, you know, becoming a doctor is hard too. <laughs> like that's, that's a difficult endeavor as well. Do you think you learned things uh, in that uh, training and schooling and just the, the different strategies you had to, to use to become a doctor? Do you think they translated well to the writing life? Like were there things that you're like, oh, I learned this in med school that I'm now able to use as a novelist that might be a superpower of mine. It might be something that I can do really well that, you know, potentially other writers without my similar background just wouldn't have the um, skills or options or just awareness of? Well, it gave me material. I mean, I, I think no matter right. what your occupation is, you're going to get material out of that. And I, I have this background knowledge so that when I write a medical scene, it's it's not difficult. Um, I, I sort of know it in my bones, how a doctor is going to think. Um, and in terms of other skills that transfer, really not. Um, I, I would say that you have a better chance of being a successful novelist if you have training in the law, uh, if you're used to writing legal briefs or used to entertaining a jury or keeping everybody's attention. Those those mm. are um, skills that, that transfer. In some ways, being a doctor or coming from a science background is a handicap. Um, I used to teach this course with Michael Palmer, um, wonderful medical thriller writer, and our students were doctors who wanted to become novelists. And every year we'd meet in Cape Cod and we'd have like classes of about 100 people listening to us. And um, one thing we had to do was we had to get these doctors to understand that the problem with novel writing is that you can work and work and work for years at your craft and you may never get published. Mm -hmm. There's an uncertainty that comes with the, uh, the career. Um, unlike medical school where you know that if you finish the, cl the classes, you will end up with an MD. That's not true for, well, you end up with a, as a published novelist. Um, the other thing that we had to work through is that doctors are very objective. I mean, when they write in a medical chart, they're supposed to stick to the facts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're supposed to not be overly emotional when it comes to dealing with, you know, their job. Um, and here we are writers, and that is exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to reach in deep and find those emotions, uh, the things that we're supposed to avoid feeling um, when we're trying to make a diagnosis. Mm, that's that's interesting. So did you have to, and it's, it's interesting what you said about lawyers, because I have had a lot of lawyers on the show, a lot of people who have studied law, find their way into writing. And so it's interesting you you call that out because I'm like, yeah, I can see that. Um, so did you find, did you find as you were transitioning, right, from the being a medical doctor, being objective and fact-based into this storytelling realm that you had to divorce part of 
your training? Did you have to unlearn things in order to be, you know, progressing storyteller? Um, I think that whatever skills I had came way before I went to medical school. Um, So it wasn't unlearning things so much as, um, I guess, paying attention to different things, paying attention to how I'm feeling when I'm writing a scene, Um, paying attention to the emotions and what gets me upset. You know, trying really uh, writing is a great deal. A good novel is a great deal about feeling tension, um, feeling unsettled. Um, and somehow trans, you know, transmitting that on the page because that's what really makes people turn the page is they feel unsettled. They want to turn that page because something is bothering them. Um, and if I can identify that in myself, I think that really helps the story move along. Okay, so let's unpack that a little bit because this is a new, a new perspective that I've not heard yet on the show. So I want to, I want to kind of dive into that. So, so, so the the reader is unsettled about mm-hmm. something and 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 that something could be a character flaw it could be a plot line but but there's something that is disturbing them and so and so do you as you're writing are you thinking like how do i create a feeling of i don't even know unsettledness <laughs> i don't even know if that's a word of discomfort <laughs> <Yes>. you know <laughs> yes I, I am I, I, tension i guess is the tension word. yeah it's the, same, it's the same thing i mean unsettled is a milder form of tension <laughs> um but what you're trying for is tension on the page and, and you're right it doesn't have to do with a plot or danger it doesn't have to do with anything except that something doesn't feel right uh and it's the same feeling you have when you you know you go outside you can feel the air is changing the wind is changing there's a storm coming you sense it uh, it's not here yet but you're going to pay attention to that sky. Um, mm. And I think that, um, you know, I, I can think of a musical analogy. I'm, I'm, you're a musician. So um, you know that there's, there, are, there are musical tensions where you have a chord that makes you feel uncomfortable. Um, and it's only when you resolve that chord into a major or minor that you feel like there's been a resolution. You, you feel like, mm. okay, I can relax now. It's the same thing with writing. You, you introduce some kind of an off-key chord, something doesn't feel right, something jazzy. And then when it resolves into a chord that we feel comfortable with, the story or the chapter is, um, you know, is you have a relaxation point in your story. Oh, I love that. That is such a beautiful analogy. And I should I should clarify before we go forward, my all my family, my wife is incredibly musical. My daughters are both kind of budding musicians. I have been given many gifts on this planet. Any kind of musical ability is not one of them. And so I am not in any way, in any way. I sing off tune. I can play no instruments. I can't beat in, like I can't do a drum beat in, in, in beat or whatever you would call it. So I, I, but, but I, I, what you said resonates so deeply that, that I can like sense it. I, I absolutely love that analogy you just gave it's a really yeah it's 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 just a really touching beautiful analogy um well it's kind of like sitting with yeah it's it's like kind of like sitting with it. it's like unfolding in my brain as we as we talk <laughs> yeah well 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 ha- have your wife play uh you know a really clashing chord and you'll go and then she'll resolve it and you'll think oh okay the chapter's over or yeah. the, the story is over <laughs> it'll like drive it home that much better right so so, so um I was looking over your um, just kind of your book list and your publications and, you know, I was reading over all the books you wrote and, and you had um, just this really crazy pace that, that you're going through 
um, for, for many years. And then it seems like sometime in like 2017 ish, um, mm-hmm. you've taken a little break and then, and then coming into this year, um, I saw a bunch of books coming out and it seems like there's a lot of books that you're, you're writing this year and many of them have, um, co-authors. It seems like you're, you're doing, um, kind of, uh, collaboration projects. And I just wanted to check in with that and see, firstly, did I read that right from Goodreads? Um, and then just to kind of talk about like, what's this next season of, of publishing look like for you, you know, with, yeah. you know, with yeah, a partner well, in a way. I, yeah. I've collaborated on one novel and that's this, uh, the book choose me, which is okay. you know, coming out in July. Um, but then most of the time I'm doing solo novels. Um, and I have a Rosalian Isles book coming out in 2022, which is already finished okay. um, a year, about a year from now. But what I found collaboration really is useful for is in the is in filmmaking and script mm-hmm. writing. Um, so as, as you mentioned, I collaborated with my son to do a documentary film. And I am collaborating with a good friend of mine who's a, who's a screenwriter. And, um, and we're in negotiations now for a possible television series uh, to write that together. Um, so yeah, there's, I, I find collaboration is, is sometimes easy and sometimes hard. Yeah, right. And with novels, when you're so used to being in control, you're used to being the master of your universe, you, ha- you have to learn to give up a little, a little authority, you know, to back off a little and, and trust the other writer. Um, and, uh, that's even more true with filmmaking. Hmm. Okay. So, so what, what are the things as, as you, uh, are getting into this idea of collaboration you have this novel coming out in from the moment of recording, maybe like a month and change, like a month and a week or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. what, what are, what are some of the good, like for people out there who maybe like, you know, I don't like the idea of just solo writing. What are some of the good parts about it? And then what are some things that like, if people are interested in collaboration that they should, keep their eye out for, right? Like what are some things to kind of know ahead of time before you get into a collaborative project? Um, I think you have to know the other person's writing style and mm-hmm. have written, have, have read some of their material to feel like, yeah, that, you know, I can see that we have similar styles or I can see that we have, you know, we play with similar themes on the page. Um, and I guess I should back up and tell you how this collaboration started because it's, it's the first time I've ever done it. And mm-hmm. it, um, it came about because I'm, I'm very aware of the fact that point of view is the story. Um, that two people can live through exactly the same um, occurrences in life and see exactly the same things. And they will come away with two very different stories, depending on who they are. Um, so I was, uh, I was, I've been paying attention to the Me Too movement. I, I just find it so fascinating how it's all coming out and how mm-hmm. people are telling, you know, talking about their horrible experiences. Um, but then I thought, you know, there's always two sides to a story. It's, it's interesting to me that um, you can get two people who have an illicit affair together and they will come away with completely different ideas of what happened between them. So um, I was at a cocktail party um, with a bunch of other writers, and I've known Gary Braver for decades. Uh, and I was telling him, wouldn't it be interesting to write a story um, about an illicit affair and have a man write the male point of view and a woman write the female point of view? How would that story come out? I mean, mm. what, how would they see that affair? Um, and what if that affair ended up in conflict? And what if it ended up with one of them dead? Uh, so he got excited about that. And before you, we knew it, we were trading chapters. <laughs> he was writing in Boston. I was writing in Maine and um, playing around with ideas where the plot would go. 
And I introduced a third character, which is the, um, the homicide detective who happens to be a woman. So there are two female points of view, which I wrote, and then there's the male point of view, which he wrote. Um, and uh, it, was, it was fun to see that men do, th do think differently than women. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's, it's a, that's a, such an interesting um, perspective and in, in setup of the project on a topic that, you know, it's, it's a really, that is a challenging topic, you know, that, that a is a yes. very challenging topic to take on. It's sensitive. It's yeah. dangerous. Yes. Um, I'm sure there are people that it's very easy to offend people with this particular topic because, um, I mean, you're going to offend somebody because yeah. it is it is um, a dangerous topic, and we're very aware of that. Um, but I felt that it it was interesting. I wanted to see how men and women see the same the same situation. Yeah, um, and I I think that it's going to be fascinating to see what the you know what what people are going to say when they read that. Are the women going to be mad that the guy was was too sympathetic? <laughs> um, <laughs> that we didn't turn him into a, uh, an arch villain. Um, are the men going to be upset that uh, the man pays for what he did? <laughs> I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, this is so, I, I mean, uh, th this is really relevant. So, you know, we do a lot of events and, you know, writing events, all sorts of stuff. And, and we always have live QA. And so, you know, people who are either new to writing or, you know, just have questions that they want to kind of get out there, able to ask anything they want. And it always kind of comes up this idea of writing the sensitive stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that might be, you know, writing from, you know, perspective that's not your own, right? Writing from yeah. the other. And sometimes it's right. taking on topics like, you know, either culturally or just, just period topics that are challenging. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, me too, I think certainly falls into this idea that, that there has, that it, it is a, a challenging topic to take on. And so how did you, um, how did you approach it so that you could, and I'm going to try and unpack this as I'm speaking. So, so let's see if I can get it out. <laughs> how, how did you approach the, a sensitive topic and stay true to the vision you had for the project while also being aware that it's, it is charged and you're, you're kind of playing a little bit with fire. Oh yeah. How did yeah. you do that? Like, how'd you, how, how did you, how did you actually literally work through that? Um, I think the hardest part was how do you make this, how do you make the man sympathetic? That was mm. the big challenge because mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. book, he's a college professor and the, the woman he has an affair with is his student. And that is bad. That's bad, bad, bad. That's, you know, you don't, you don't do that kind of thing. Um, and you certainly are not supposed to do that kind of thing. Um, and so this man does, and not only that, he's married, the professor is married. So he's, right. you know, he's betraying a lot of things in this story. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to make him human. I wanted him to be, to be a fully rounded, if flawed human being so that we see that things are not always, you know, black and white, that there yeah. are, I mean, life is shit is full of shades of gray. Um, yeah. And that's that's what we wanted to see with both of these of these incredibly flawed characters. Um, so I think the hard part was how does he, how was he going to pay for what he did? Mm. Well, yeah, this was a this was a terrible trespass. Um, now she ends up dead. Did he do it? And mm -hmm. how does he suffer for it? And so we needed to to work through all the ways that would keep him sympathetic while being very clear that he was the he was the bad guy in the story.
Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you a really pointed question on that? Um, did you feel like as you were writing that, um, did you feel like you needed to make a statement on the topic itself? No, I didn't. Okay. I didn't feel I didn't feel that at all. I mean, I I did not want this to be a political novel. Yeah, um, right. I wanted it to be a novel about people um, and about how, how all of us do bad things, um, and some of us pay for it. Um, yeah, and. It doesn't mean that we are 100% bad. It just means we've done a bad thing. So that that was what we were playing with was, um, you know, just looking at all shades of of trespass. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna on, on the heels of this interview, I'm gonna reach out to your publicity team and be like, when can I get an advanced copy of this book? Because I'm so intrigued on on just how how this whole thing came together. Uh, oh, you can get an advanced copy very easily. Yes, yeah, definitely. yeah, I I um. <laughs> I'm like, boy, am I curious? Because, and the reason I'm kind of diving into this and digging into this is, is only because, again, you know, we have a lot of writers who um, want to get at topics, and sometimes the topics, like I said, they are cultural. Sometimes they are, you know, topics that are just difficult in general. Sometimes they're topics um, that use perspectives and lives that are not their own. And I think that there is a not. I think I know that there is a tremendous apprehension and nervousness of screwing it up and hurting people right and right and 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 then looking like you are some awful monster that you're not you know i I think i think there's definitely some people who write books and they write it from a monstrous perspective and they're they're mean and cruel and and they are uh you know not books that like i i represent or want to have on the show but there's a lot of people who'd want to write something and for for with the best of intentions still cause offense. And I think there's this really deep concern about that right now. And Mm -hmm. so it's really fascinating to dive into how do you do that now? You know what I mean? Like, like how how do you attack that now? How how do you write something that is potentially makes you get the oogly legs, um, (laughs) but still move forward? You know what I mean? Still, still do the project. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's something that a lot of us are struggling with. I mean, yeah. how, how do you represent somebody who is not anything like yourself? Um, I mean, I'm okay. I'm Asian American, but most of my characters are white. I mean, what, what am I, am, am I doing something wrong? Should I not be doing this? Um, and I write, I write characters with, um, who are men. Uh, I may, I may be getting it totally wrong, but I'm not attacked for that um, so far. <laughs> and I, it's it's something I feel I feel for writers who are trying they're trying to fulfill this the needs of the story and their creative urges and they aren't intending to do anything that's going to offend somebody but somehow they do um, what is coming into this the picture now is sensitivity readers and this is mm-hmm. something that's uh, very new that a lot of publishers will ask people that are being you know people of similar backgrounds who are, who are characters in the story. Can you read this? Does this offend you? Should we change anything? Yeah. And I think that that helps pre-publication to catch any glaring errors, but you know, we're all going to make them and, and people are really hair trigger angry these days. Yeah. Um, I get angry letters because I got some, some detail about a firearm wrong and wow, people really get mad about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, or you know, I think I had a story where one of my one of my villains was a me, um, a medical technician. I mean, he does blood he he does blood mm-hmm. tests, mm-hmm. and he was the bad guy. Well, 
I thought, okay, so what? Um, I got some angry letters from uh, lab technicians who said that I didn't <laughs> them because somehow they thought that I was identifying them as serial killers. Um, so what can you do? You know, you that, can't write gravity about pit bulls either because then the pit right. bull people will be after you. So, so you're that that question. I, I I would love to get to a spot because this is this is something that is such an important topic for writers. I, I really truly believe in the like at, as storytellers, we we need creative freedom to tell the story that has come to us to tell. Now, I, I have very woo woo beliefs, right? I am I am on the you know far out there spectrum of where stories come from. Yeah. And, you know, I, I believe they're gifts. And so sometimes the story comes and you're like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to tell us, but it's your job to tell it. Right. Yeah. And so, and so you ask that question that, that is just kind of, you know, you kind of settle it all down. What can you do? Like what, what literally, so, so if, if you were talking to, let's just say me, <laughs> you are talking to me, but let's say I was going to write something from, you know, perspective that was, you know, charged. And yet I felt this deep need to tell the story maybe for reasons I didn't even understand, but it's an authentic need, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's a true need. I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, just ride some wave, some cultural wave. It's a true need to tell a story. Yeah. What are some practical things I can do to keep myself in the story and I'm going to offend some people, but not, not, you know, essentially sabotaging myself and, and writing something that is clearly going to, um, you know, be offensive to many, 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 many people, or can I? <laughs> well, yeah. first of all, I, I think it's really important that if you write something that's not part of your culture or your background or something that's really, really different, you not try to misrepresent yourself. I mean, you should just say, I'm a white guy and I'm going to be writing right. about, uh, about the, the Native American experience. I mean, I think you get into trouble when you pretend that you're Native American and therefore you have some inside information into this. Yeah. Um, just, I mean, and I think that's where authors do get into trouble is they pretend to be something that they're not. Um, hmm. I suppose it's, it's what's, imp what's important to me is always to find the humanity in whatever character you're dealing with. Hmm. Um, if you are a sympathetic person or an empathetic person, it should be possible to write from the point of view of just about anybody. Um, whether it's a child or it's somebody in a different culture or whether it's an alien from Mars, um, if you feel the feelings uh, authentically. Mm -hmm. um, now, whether or not that's going to be accepted by a publisher is another story, but I, I would encourage people to be brave and write the story they need to write. Um, and maybe after that story is, is finished, um, engage a sensitivity reader or find somebody in that particular culture to read it and tell you where you went wrong. Um, yeah. I, I think as long as you're as you're talking from a authentically human point of view with real emotions, uh, you might be able to pull it off just fine. Yeah, yeah. What what is what is kind of impressed on me on this conversation, just just about this topic specifically, is how, um, you know, let's just take your book coming out about me too. It's mm -hmm. really impressed on me that what's so special about what we do. And, and I, I'm like holding back my weepy voice because it just, it's so special is as storytellers, we get to come at topics and come at themes that you could only do through story. <laughs> you know, you couldn't write, 
your idea of like, how would a man react to this and how would a woman react to me too and a man react to me too in an essay form? You could, but it wouldn't have the emotional punch and it wouldn't have the same sizzle that a novel, that a, that a story can have. And, and I think it's so important that as storytellers, we don't shy away from this idea of coming at these hard topics and, mm-hmm. and using the gift we have of story to, 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 to see something in a way that's so difficult in less creative forms. And yet we still have to do it right. You know what I mean? We, we, still, we still have to get it right. <laughs> you know? that's that's and that's a hard job you have to be you have to be brave um and if if there's blowback there's blowback i mean this i don't know what to say about that except um, you did your best um Mm -hmm. you tried your best and you tried and you tried to to feel people's emotions uh genuinely yeah um you you know and and we have to remember every book we write is going to be criticized for one reason or another um maybe you made some cultural um error Mm-hmm. Uh, or somebody else is going to say, well, I hated this character, or you got this, this uh, detail wrong. And critics are all over the place. Um, it just comes with the territory. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. The, I want to just say, thank you. This is, this is a topic that um, is such an important topic. And I just want to say thank you before we move on um, for, for just going there with me. I think there's a lot of people out there who I, hopefully I've asked the questions that, that they want to ask they just don't have you know this amazing ability like i do to talk to amazing authors about anything i want (laughs) and so i'm i'm hopeful because i know this is a big topic i know there's a lot of writers out there who want to do the right thing and they they want to they they want to come at these topics they just they really don't want to hurt people they 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 don't want to get it wrong and they don't and and they don't want to look like they're some awful monster for trying and so i really appreciate it um with that said though I, I, this happens every, all, every interview, all the time I look down and I'm like, holy smokes, I am out of time. (laughs) Um, So, so it's at the part of the show where I get to ask you my final five questions. So so these questions, I ask every single guest, the exact same five questions to lead us out. And the reason I do it is for two reasons. So reason number one is I like the answers. They're fun. And I, it's my show. So I get to do what I want. The second reason is because um, so much of the point of the show is inspiring, encouraging writers to find a way to put good words on the page. That's really the entire writing life opens up when you can consistently write words, right? That's, that's a huge part of this puzzle. And the way authors answer these questions, I hope shows that there's no one right way to do it. Everyone has different answers. Everyone has their own process. And as the writer, your job is to find your process. That, that, that is critical for you as the writer. So with that said, Here's question number one. And and I'm pretty sure these this email, these are the only questions I send. And it sounds like these didn't get to you ahead of nope. time. So this can be extra fun. This, I'm getting this cold. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be extra fun. Okay, here it is. Question number one. What is the one word that best describes you? Curious. Curious. Mm. I love it. Okay, question number two. If you had to pick a spirit book, so this was a book that let's say you were able to die and be reincarnated as a book, right? <laughs> it's a book that like best, it just best embodies who you are as a, as a person, as a human being. What book would it be? 
Oh, wow. That is a, I wish I didn't know <laughs> what I'm going to say. The secret life of trees. I, I, I'm just saying this because I'm a gardener. I, okay. I would be a botanist in another life and I love trees. <laughs> okay. I, I, yeah, I'm, I, I love that book as well. Um, there's that book. And then there was a book called Greenwood as well about trees. I don't know if you read that book. It came out. No, maybe. I haven't. Oh, it's a stunning, stunning, stunning book. One of my favorite books. I think it's 2019 or 2020 um, release. Same thing. It's about trees, and it it is a it's sprawling epic. It is beautifully written. But anyways, okay. okay. Secret Life of Trees. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. All right. Question number three: Is there a specific tool? It can be anything at all. Pencil, software, chair, coffee, tea, wine, cigarettes, anything that you absolutely must have to write. Uh, of my Bic medium point blue ink pen. <laughs> oh my! So are you are you a handwriter? Do do you do? do I'm a handwriter. Oh wow! I'm a handwriter. Yeah. For, well, first draft I'm a handwriter, and then okay. from then on it's all on the computer. Yeah. So you write you write the entire first draft by hand using yes. your Bic pen. Yes, and then oh, I, I type it in myself because nobody can read my handwriting. <laughs> it's a doctor handwriting, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wonderful. Okay. That is so great. All right. Question number four, how do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? Um, I have a, I have a very um, happy family. Uh, my husband is, we've been married for, I got, I have to think about this is our anniversary is coming up <laughs> <laughs> over, over 40 years. Um, oh, wow. And I garden, I, I am really into the outdoors. I think these are all things that center you and mm -hmm. make you remember that even if the book is flop and nobody buys it or you, you get angry hate mailed for your last your last novel um you can always go outside and pull weeds yeah that's so you know what's interesting is i find a lot of the authors that i interview have a like meditative practice like gardening or baking like cooking running things where it's like it's it's still active you're still doing something but it almost has like a transcendent effect on, on the person. Like they, they almost get yeah. transported to a different spot as they're doing it. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and it's also, it's also creative too. It helps your creativity. If you, you get those brain waves changed and, and they're, that you think you're doing something else, but actually your, your mind is still, is still working on out a problem. Yeah, exactly. It, it almost, I, I heard something once about like the driving effect where, um, yeah. the reason you have so many good ideas in your driving or in the shower is because you're, you're, your mind relaxes in that it's what it's doing and it kind of takes over. And so mm -hmm. it kind of gives you the space for your kind of subconscious mind to bubble up a lot of these ideas, which sometimes you're like, wow, where'd that come from? Right. Um, right. Driving is great. And, and yeah. because I live in Maine, I do, you know, if I have to go to the airport, that's a, that's a two hour drive. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, that's wonderful. Okay. Question number five. Here we go. Last question. If you could give one piece of advice to new writers, what would it be? Listen for the voice. And I, I say this again and again, you're, the most important thing about starting a book is hearing your character's voice. Um, sometimes it takes me a while, um, but if I hear that voice talking, uh, the book feels almost as if it's half written because hmm. whatever that imaginary voice is, it is the one telling the story, not you. Hmm. Hmm. Boy, there is no better way to end this episode than with that advice. That is such beautiful advice. Um, Tess, 
where can people find you? They want to kind of dig into you more and find you online. Where do you hang out? Uh, I, I have Twitter at, at Tess Garretson. Um, I'm on Facebook uh, under Tess Garretson, and I also have a web page, um, although I have not been blogging very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just TessGarretson.com, yeah. Awesome. Okay, so Facebook and Twitter for those of you who want to increase your social media. Exposure. Like we need to. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tess, this has been such a great conversation. I, I so appreciate your willingness to talk about, you know, potentially tough topics. Yeah. And well, I, thank you. I yeah. hope there's no blowback, but you know, yeah. you and I are in this together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going down with the ship if there is, you know what I mean? Like we, <laughs> we're both here together and I'm so excited to read your upcoming book. Um, choose me. I mean, it, it just, the, the premise, the setup, the fact that you kind of wrote it the way you did, it's so fascinating to me. So I cannot wait to um, get my hands on it. Um, last thing I am traveling this country and I will be in your neck of the woods in Maine and I'm going to email you. Maybe you can tell me some good spots to go to. Oh, to, sure. To stay. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Let me know. Be. Let me know. Remember okay. like Southern Maine somewhere. It's a huge state. So it's like Southern, Southern Maine, something like that. I don't know. Anyways, yeah. Tess, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. It's been a, a great conversation and, uh, it's been a ton of fun. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you again to Tess for her time. If you haven't yet, please check us out on iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review. I've now said this 81 times, at least 81 times. So if you haven't yet, just go ahead and do it. Get it over with. Also, check us out on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Really just Instagram. Lastly, I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.